Our scripture today comes from the book of 1 John. It's uh, the first of his three letters that we have. And, uh, you know, we have the book of John, and then we have the three letters of John. And so these are, uh, this is from 1 John. Chapter 4, I'm going to begin at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son, his one and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and set his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, I've had this phone about two years and it's starting to slow down. So I thought, you know, I need to delete some things off of it, and I went through and took a bunch of pictures off of it, and, and uh, all those pictures of my pocket. I didn't think I needed any of those. Um, uh, and I also thought, it's two years old, it's about time I start deleting voicemail, because um, I got a bunch of those. And I went through and I started, you know, deleting off voicemail, and when I came across a phone number that I didn't recognize, I'd listen to it, and then if I, it was somebody's name I wanted to keep in my, I did that, you know, I kept it in my contacts. But then I came to these, and this particular, just this one, I'll... Hi. I'll be, I'll probably go to bed about an hour, in about an hour. You don't recognize the voice. But that's my mom. Almost exactly a month before she passed. So it's been about two years since mom passed. By the way, I saved that and uh, um, don't plan on deleting it. And I, I, I sent a copy of it to my siblings. I have two brothers and two sisters. Uh, one of the sisters commented back, oh, thanks for making us all cry. And then the other sister started sending a bunch of them, and some of them were actually hilarious. So it gave us a little bit of levity in the midst of that, that grief that morning. Um, it's been almost two years since mom passed, uh, and I, I still have that sense of grief. That's, there's, a, there's a tenderness to that when, when I remember mom. And um, those of you who have lost a loved one have that same experience. Um, uh, my dad's been gone 12 years, um, about, and and um, uh, I still experience that, uh, that sense of loss in that. And, um, and so I recognize with mom, as with dad, it will be my lifetime that I'll experience that. Those of you who have a mother that's alive, <laughs> love on her today. So, you know, I, I recognize that early. It was early this week, and, and I recognize that as a raw emotion that I was experiencing. And um, um, then I uh, then I happened to be reading through my news feed, and I get way too much news, um, and um, to read less than. A, a, percent of it, I think. Um, but I always read the headlines. And, and one of them, one of the, the articles that came through was um, uh, an article that said, uh, it was about, about um, grief and brain mapping. 
And I thought, well, this is interesting. Uh, I might read about that. And so I started to read about it and found it just fascinating. And so I, I spent some time on the internet um, researching it. And that's the wrong term, by the way. You don't research on the internet. Okay, let's be clear. For those of people who actually do research, who, who take the time to do peer-reviewed studies and, and they have the, the focus group and the, and what's the other group called? The, the group that's, anyway, uh, you know, the people that actually do studies recognize that we don't, we don't research on the internet. What we do is survey of articles that Google sends to us based on what we have asked Google to send us in the past. So pretty much every article you're going to get on this topic agrees with what you already believe, whatever topic. And so we have to confess that. So no, I didn't research the topic. I did a survey of some articles that Google was willing to give me on this topic, and, and I found it fascinating. Um, and so let me start with this um, uh, disclaimer. My apologies to all people that understand this really, because <laughs> I, I know I don't understand it to the depth uh, that others do. I, when I was in... Uh, when I was an associate pastor years ago, and, and we were at a, a church at Salem right there in Ladue, and um, uh, there was a, a member of the church who was, who was finishing, he was doing his residency, his medical residency, after he finished his PhD, which was a degree in, in electrical brain mapping that was a joint venture between Harvard and MIT. I sincerely hope you're not watching today, because I'm not going to get this all right. My apologies to those of you who understand this better than I do. Uh, several people did say after the service I was close enough. That's what I was going for. Um, so what happens in your brain is that when you meet somebody, your brain creates this neural pathway. Okay, so there's a, there's a certain number of steps within your brain that associates with that person. Now, if that's a person you run into at the grocery store in another town that you're not, never likely to see again, your brain automatically washes that away in, in a short period of time. But those people that you have a repetitive relationship with them, you wake up in the same house, you know, for me, it was, for, my, for me, I'm just, I know I'm a terrible son, but I had to put on my to-do list to remind me to call mom. So I did, weekly, called mom. But, but I had to have that, okay, so, but there was that regular part to it. But it was also, um, so your brain connects, does this neural pathway that has a permanence to it. Not the temporary part, for the people that we're not going to see again, but a permanence, and then it starts attaching memories to that pathway, Okay, and, and those memories might be um, things that you did, occasions that you had, you know, things that when, when, when I think about mom, what do I think about? And, and so you think through those things. Um, but also, I've noticed, um, I don't know what the name of it is, but there are some women in our congregation that wear the same perfume as mom. And that, that smell is like, oh, it, it perks you up. It, 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 you notice it. Okay, so... Here's what happens in grief. You have this neural pathway that is permanent. And because there's this neural pathway that is a, a, from a positive relationship in your life, when you stop, well, let me say, I got to get this in the right order. 
when your brain makes that pathway, when you interact with that person, you call them on the phone or, or they drop by or whatever, and you have this positive relationship with them, your brain gives you certain chemicals in the brain that give you that positive feeling. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. And that, that little bit of euphoria, that sense of satisfaction in that relationship, your brain is giving you a chemical that, that makes you feel that. And when it is a long-term permanent neural pathway and you stop getting it, that's when you experience grief. Now you know, in your, in your conscience brain, you know you're never going to see them again, but that neural pathway still exists because you don't want to forget all those memories. You don't want to give all that up. So you hold on to that, and if you don't then process your memory to move that from a permanent existence, meaning in my life today, to a, a permanent memory, you struggle for a long time. And that's, that is a very rudimentary understanding of, of what is going on in your brain chemically when you mourn. Basically, your addiction to the chemicals that came when you met that person no longer is fed and your brain craves that. You want to see them again. You want to talk to them. To me, this is fascinating. I, 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 I am always amazed at the way God created us. And so whenever I learn something new about this, I, I think that there is this perfect marriage between science and theology. And, and science just tells us how God did it. Theology tells us why. And so I, I understand that God created us in a way that certain chemicals go off in the brain when we have a relationship we call love. That's how God did it. Why God did it is because God created us to love one another. I love that marriage of, of science and, and theology because it is, it goes so well together. So let's talk about those positive relationships for a second. I was actually talking to Alyssa, and Alyssa was sharing with me, um, this might, I don't know if you know Alyssa that well, but this might come as a shock. She's sharing brain chemistry with me, okay? This is part of how, how I got off on that track, um, not just the grieving part, but the brain chemistry. And, and so she talked about these two words, dose and can, and they're acronyms. And dose is the positive chemicals that when we experience somebody that we like or love, that we experience them and the chemicals that are given to us in our brain through that experience. For instance, dose is, stands for dopamine. And dopamine is that, that happiness around a friend that, that, oh, I'm so glad to see you. But it's also that arousal that comes from a, a, a relationship that is, that is a physical relationship with the one we love. Then there's oxytocin, which is, it's, it's all about empathy. It's how, it's how humans bond. I see a grandmother holding a baby right there. Oxytocin's going on right now. They're bonding. And that baby's not processing that, but experiencing that. I always say that, that a baby in the nursery knows God loves them because the nursery worker holds them kindly. Right? There's that bonding experience, not only with the person in the nursery, but with God because this is God's house. 
and that bonding takes place. Serotonin. Now, we all think serotonin is what you take so you can sleep better, but get this. Serotonin is a mood stabilizer, and it also works to increase self-confidence and self-esteem when we are around people we love and we know love us, which, by the way, makes us more able to sleep. Which suggests, by the way, if you don't get enough serotonin because you're not around people you love and you have sleepless nights, that's why you need to take it instead of experiencing it in life. And the final one in dose is endorphins. And endorphins work on the, the body to relieve pain and depression. And when we hang around people that we love, we experience pain less and depression is moderated. So that's dose. These are the things that God does for us when in a neural pathway a relationship is formed and it is a positive relationship and we experience these brain chemicals as a reward for living in a loving relationship. Isn't this cool? I, I'm fascinated by it. You all can just, you know, listen along. But... What about those relationships that we don't experience as positive? Now, this is, this is interesting as well. This isn't brain chemistry, it's body chemistry at this point. And, and there are responses that we have to negative relationships, okay? Those responses, responses are the, the word, the um, acronym CAN, that stand for cortisol, which is a hormone that's uh, secreted under stress. You always have a level of cortisol in your body, but it's secreted more when you're under stress. And it's, it's, while it's good sometimes, a large amount of it is harmful to the body. It may cause feelings of anxiety and depression. I know as a, as a diabetic that cortisol causes the body to have more sugar in the bloodstream, and that's a problem for me. High stress means high blood sugar. Diabetics understand that. Adrenaline is the A in CAN, and that's the hormone that kicks in under high stress. It prepares the body for physical exertion by dumping blood sugar into the bloodstream for use as energy, but also narrowing the oxygen pathways to allow more energy to flow to the muscles. I just copied and pasted. I'm not sure what that means. And coupled with adrenaline is norepinephrine, that's the N in can, and it works with adrenaline to cause that fight or flight feeling. So here's the thing, think about this. God created you in such a way that when the bear is on attack, you're either going to fight or run away. And you dump these, these hormones into your body. Your body dumps these hormones into your system to give you the energy for whatever it is you're going to do. I need to run away. And I need to be faster than the bear or faster than the guy I was with. Just think that through for a second. Come on, that was funny. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Um, so, so um, or I need to fight. When you engage with people that are difficult for you, when you engage with people that raise your blood pressure, that, that 
their, their ideas, their ideology, their, their way of acting, their way of dressing, their way of whatever is different from you. The party they vote for is way different from you. You go into fight or flight mode when you're with them. Now here's the problem. You're not necessary, it's not necessary, you are not necessarily going to run away from them. Though you may, if it's a party, you might just go to the other side of the room. But you're not going to run away from them, nor are you going to knock them out, probably. But still your body produces all of this stuff. And when it produces all of this stuff, here's what happens. Uh, high levels of, of the cortisol, adrenaline, and norepinephrine can cause depression, anxiety, muscle, muscle tension, digestive issues, headaches, memory and concentration decreases, and sleep problems. So here's the thing. God created us to experience loving relationships in a deeply rewarding way. And God also created us to protect ourselves from those relationships that are stressful, harmful, and destructive. Clearly, God created us, though, with love in mind because God doesn't want us to experience all those bad chemicals all the time. So what about those people that raise your blood pressure? Well, it turns out it's all about your reaction to them. What you can do is reframe your worldview and in so doing, change the way your body, mind, and spirit react to people. Look at that scripture again from today, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, do not, I'm sorry, got it wrong. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love comes from God and everybody that knows God. We, we have the capacity to live in godly ways. Reframing your worldview means viewing the world as God views it. In this sermon series, a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea that God, we talked about creation. In the beginning, God. The story of the Bible is the story of God. And God created everything. And each day of creation, God says, it is good. And on the sixth day when God created humanity, God said, it is very good. And God didn't say that about just some of you. Right? God says that about all of us, each one of us. Even the people I disagree with, surprisingly enough. Jesus tells us that there's a purpose to creation, and that purpose is love God and love your neighbor. But the next sermon, we talked about how humanity failed to love God and love neighbor. That humanity, we, we act in a way that's not loving toward God and not loving toward our neighbor. We call that sin, and, and sin is results from the fall of humanity, our, our tendency toward not loving is the fall of humanity, and everyone's, every one of us suffers from that tendency. We also have the capacity to do better, and God seeks to redeem us. That was the next sermon in that series, in this series. God seeks to redeem humanity for the purposes God originally created us, to love God and to love each other. 
God does this, seeks to redeem us, because the Bible tells us, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's willing to go through to pretty extreme measures to assure you have a way back to God. So the question becomes, how do I live in this world? How should I live in this world? Well, we should live with a Christian worldview. And that's easy for me to say, but how do we get there? Well, the truth is that we've created a neural pathway for each one of the people that we meet. And some of those pathways cause anxiety, and some of those pathways cause those positive things to come into our mind. It's not just people, but also circumstances that, that, that we have a neural pathway for. And, and so when we engage in circumstances, not necessarily a person, but maybe an ideology that we disagree with, and we experience that. And, and it's necessary to think of these things in a different way. Not necessarily to change your mind on it, okay? You can still disagree with people. You can still disagree with politics and ideology and things like that. But to change the way you react to them, to be more like Christ. So, reframing our worldview then um, takes this conscious effort to change those permanent pathways that we've created. How do we do that? Well, this week I was trying to figure out, okay, how do, how do we do that, Dave? And then I went to Wednesday morning Bible study. On Wednesday morning, a men's Bible study, we, we meet at 6 a.m. You're welcome to join us, unless you're a mother, you don't qualify. It's men's Bible study. Um, I really thought that was funny, and I'm going to just not say that in the next service. <laughs> there is no next service. Okay, so... We, we, we use this passage, uh, we read this passage as part of our, our Bible study from 2 Peter 1.5. And I think this is, this is God giving us in the Scripture, how do we rewire those pathways? Again, you don't have to agree with people. But think of them differently. Uh, 2 Peter 1.5. For this re very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So reframing begins with faith. It begins with a trust in God, a trust in uh, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the, the, the idea of faith. It begins with faith. That's our, that's our jumping off point. It begins there. But add to your faith. It's not just about, I trust in you, God. And then I'm going to add to that goodness. Now, I had to do a little research to come up with what exactly does this mean here. And um, uh, the, 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 the Greek word means morally straight, morally on the straight and narrow. Um, it means you're, you're on the path, not off on one side or the other. Morally speaking. Um, remember, uh, any of you that were in Boy Scouts, we had the Boy Scout oath, and, and the last three lines are to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Being on the moral straight and narrow. 
And then upon that, you add knowledge. Now, what I think this means in this neural pathway thing is I don't have to like other people or appreciate what they do, but I have to understand them to really engage in, in what I think we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus Christ, to see them through God's eyes, I need to understand them. I need to know where they're coming from. I need to clear my browser history so Google will send me the stuff from the other side so I can do a little research. I just need to understand where they're coming from. And then... Self-control, which means don't jump to conclusion or condemnation. Sincerely seek knowledge and understanding means that you have to rewire your neural pathways that are stuck on some permanent assumptions so that you can deepen your knowledge. And this takes time. So give yourself time. But take the time. And therefore, the next, the next word in there is perseverance. Perseverance is going to be necessary to take the time that you need to. Don't give up on anyone. God hasn't. Why should we? Don't give up. Having a godly worldview requires your patient perseverance. And that's followed by godliness. And what I think this means for us is take what we have learned to God. Pray. Search Scripture. Allow the Spirit of God to guide your thinking, to rewire your mind, not necessarily to change your mind, except to change it toward, well, we'll ultimately get their love. To move you from being agitated and irritated to become the loving Christian God created you to be. Because what follows then is mutual affection. To seek more to care for the soul of the other than you do about their attitudes and actions and activities and, and political parties and those things. Now, there's a phrase that I, I don't like to use, and I'll explain why in a second, but I think it, it kind of fits here, and that's love the sinner and hate the sin. Here's my issue. I don't know how to do that. I understand what the phrase means. But, but I struggle with hate, that if I allow some part of me to hate, then it really becomes difficult to love, and that's my own personal struggle. But if that phrase helps you, that's, that's great. And then, upon mutual affection, we add love. Now, interestingly enough, uh, the word love there comes from the Greek word agape. The word for mutual affection is Philadelphia which means brotherly love. And you know the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia. And it's the city of brotherly love unless you're the opponent on the other sports team. There's no love there. Trust me on that. But agape is a group, Greek word that is most often associated with God's love. So we come full circle in our scripture today to that first John passage, love one another. Because if you do, you are of God. And isn't that our goal? Seeing the world through God's eyes, seeing the world as Christ saw the world, loves the world and willing to die for it. You know, um, 
It begins with faith. In that first Peter, uh, second Peter passage, it begins with faith, and and um, so one of the ways that we talk about faith and live through it as a congregation is we go through confirmation, and our students just we just finished a, a confirmation. But one of the things that I like to do with the confirmation class is take them to a pool and do an immersion baptism. If they've already been baptized, we're just remembering their baptism. But we go to to a pool to baptize, um, uh, to immerse as a reminder of their baptism. I got to be careful there. There's some rules in the Methodist Church about that that I don't violate, but um, so we went um, uh, to the Jenkins house, and and there I am doing immersion for one of the confirmation students, and keep yeah. There's a there's another one. There's one. Alan got a little bit upset about going underwater, and I gave him a bear hug to make sure he was okay. That or expel water, I don't know. And there's Retief. Um, but there were, there were two other people there. Um, I talked to a, a family. Um, uh, they wanted, their daughter, nine years old, wanted to be baptized, and she hadn't been baptized yet. And so um, uh, uh, when, when a child that age wants to be baptized, I want to do the baptism. But I thought, how cool would it be to do their, her baptism in the pool at the same time? And so um, we did uh, Sarah's, or uh, Parker's baptism. That was, the previous slide was Parker. Um, and then found out that Parker's mom, Sarah, hadn't been baptized either. And so we, we baptized Sarah then for her first time and, and um, celebrated that time with them just this past Sunday. We were supposed to do it several weeks ago, but it was 42 degrees. <laughs> This past Sunday was a lot better. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but we got to celebrate that. Now that is the beginning of faith. But one of the marks of the Methodist church is we assume there is a beginning of faith and then there's this ongoing growth. And so I love how, how that 2 that Peter passage uh, uh, it seems like this sequential understanding that you begin with faith and add to faith goodness and then knowledge and then self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and to mutual affection you add love. That there's this growth toward that worldview that God is drawing us toward moving us toward. Here's the thing. God created you for love and even rewards you in your brain with chemicals when you do love. And when you don't love. I, 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 there's a phrase that I've, I've heard associated with. We are, we are punished more... Um, let's see. Hold on. I had it in another part of the sermon. We are not so much punished for our sins as by our sins. In other words, when we decide not to love and we experience all those negative chemistries that come into our body, we are, we are experiencing this long-term punishment by the sins that we commit when we decide not to love. God created you for love. And failure to move toward a Christian worldview very literally punishes you by the harm that it does to you physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Not that God punishes you for it, but it's your failure to live into the love God calls you to. God created you for something so much better and rewards you when you live what is better. God created you with a world, for a worldview that is the same as what was in Christ Jesus. That God so loved the world that he'll go to any length 
to share that love with you. And I think that's what we're called to do with each other. Amen? And amen.